welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 32, headlined by Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw, a very important bantamweight matchup, more than likely determining who's going to be fighting next for the title after Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling settle their rematch couple other intriguing spots on this card that I can't wait to break down for you guys and obviously see play out inside the cage. And I do think that there's some prime betting opportunities for us for this weekend as well. And I can't wait to share those guys with you, share those picks and predictions and those bets with you guys as this podcast continues on. Uh, without further ado, let's just get into the damn thing. First and foremost, the thing that we like to do is the betting recap, and we'll quickly recap UFC Vegas 31, which was a big event for us. We go 9-1 and one on predictions, but in terms of betting, we sweep the board with our two plays. First and foremost, the lock of the night play. We go four units deep on the under one and a half for the Rodrigo Nascimento and Alain Baudot fight. Under one and a half, minus 145. That cashes with about a minute left. Made me sweat a little bit for it, but luckily we cashed that bet. Uh, so that's plus 2.76 units there. And then the dog of the night play, Sergey Morozov going out there and looking like a favorite. Absolutely beating Holly Taha from pillar to post in that fight. From minute one to minute 15, it was all Sergey Morozov. He had nothing to worry about in that fight. And he dominates Holly Taha as a plus 125 dog. I only took a one unit stab on him there. Wish I went a little bit more. But again, hindsight is always 20-20. So I do like the fact that Morozov was able to pull off the victory there. Plus 1.25 units there. And all in all, we end up UFC Vegas 31 plus 4.01 units not to mention a couple degen plays that hit for us as well uh I'm throwing it out there I'm always flashing these uh multi-event or these uh Hail Mary parlay tickets that I put together that have cashed the last one that cashed a couple weeks ago was the $500 for 18k that cashed over three events and then this past weekend we had one uh, that I quickly made after my under two and a half in the Figueredo and uh, Malcolm Gordon fight crashed a couple of my lottery tickets. I put another one together pretty quickly with the remaining fights on it and it all cashes 250 bucks to take home 10k. So I was very happy to hit that one as well. That was untracked. I didn't drop that one in the Patreon or anything like that. Again, it was more of a degen play for myself to, you know, kind of hold myself over the fact that we still had like eight fights to go even after that uh, Figueredo and Malcolm Gordon fight. So uh, great night of betting for myself the bankroll is looking fat i cannot be more excited about that and then obviously sweeping the board on official bets is even better as well so we're on a two event winning streak now which obviously includes the bellator 263 card i believe it was 263 or 262 uh the day before the last ufc event we end up cashing on that as well uh coming home i believe it was plus 1.15 units on profit lock of the night play hits with johnny eblin and juliana velasquez parlay the velasquez fight very close can't be bad at it we get the luck of the draw that time around with that split decision i uh, shouldn't have been that close to begin with but is what it is that's the mma game and then our dog of the night play actually ended up losing that night but there was only one underdog that actually ended up winning that night so all in all great weekend again bankroll looking nice and fat and we're going to bring that on over right to ufc vegas 32 uh which should be another prime opportunity to make some money this weekend a reminder for you guys the patreon is the best way to go out there and support your boy obviously you can hit that subscribe you can hit that like and that's great and i will always be forever indebted to those people that actually do those small things but i'll be even more indebted to those people that go out there and support your boy on the patreon for five bucks a month link is in the description below we got a ton of great content on there most notably the discord channel that's on there we got a great community of guys on there that are super helpful not just for mma but other sports as well uh, so shout out to everybody that's on the patreon uh five bucks a month we also get a best bets and props article where i go over every single fight on the card give you my best bet which is either a money line or a total for the fight and then my best prop as well too not to mention i drop my confidence level on every single fight as well so you guys have an idea of where i'm at even though i only drop about two to three picks every single card official picks or official bets that's why I do the best bets and props article to get you guys, you know, caught up on everything for every single fight. Um, prize picks tips are on there as well. Uh, a full article going through the full card, uh, you know, give you my best prize picks tips as well. And uh, yeah, just a tremendous amount of value for five bucks a month. Best bang for your buck you're going to find on the market. I know I'm not the greatest predictor or handicapper out there. But people enjoy and respect my reads and understand that I know what the fuck I'm talking about more often than not. 
and uh, it's definitely helping people put some money in their pocket. So hopefully I can do that for you as well. Uh, lastly, CoolBet, CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2. That's the number two. They'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. And trust me, you guys are going to want to take full advantage of it as CoolBet is probably one of the best bookies out there in terms of being able to parlay props and solid odds. You know, I, I have locked up a couple of plays uh, through CoolBet in the past couple of weeks. They have great lines, uh, great customer service, and great odds. And then again, something that people often look for is a spot that allows you to parlay props just to get that extra little juice and those juicy odds uh, for some parlays. CoolBet is definitely your place to go for that. So once again, CoolBet.com, use promo code MMALOTN2. Again, that's the number two, and they'll uh, match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks, and your boy gets a little bit of a kickback for pushing their brand as I believe they deserve the recognition for sure. All right, that's a wrap on the intro here. Hope you guys enjoy the breakdowns that are coming right at you uh hopefully we make some money hit that like hit that subscribe check out the patreon check out corbett and i'll see you guys on the other side hope you guys enjoy the breakdowns deanna belbita versus hannah goldie we got plus 100 on belbita and minus 120 on hannah goldie now we've had a tremendous amount of love come in for belbita she was roughly around plus 160 even now about plus 150 and now she's pretty much been driven down to a pick em, plus 100 minus 105 minus 110 at a couple of spots but i wouldn't even be surprised if we see belbita actually go off as the favorite once this fight actually takes place now both women mainly strikers hannah goldie likes to stick and move a lot likes to throw kicks out there every now and then but she does do a good job in terms of throwing uh output and volume which really makes it difficult uh to to kind of beat her but the way to beat her is obviously landing the much more significant strikes which i think we'll see here from diana balbita and exactly what we saw from miranda granger as well when they actually went together or sorry when they went uh head to head uh i think it's going to look very similar to that granger fight i think that we're going to see hannah goldie moving for the majority of the fight uh and then anytime that there's an exchange i think that we'll see that granger uh did who did get the better of the striking exchanges in that fight well do the, uh we should see belbita kind of fill that role she should be able to one, be the one to land the better strikes wait for the perfect opportunities to throw those strikes and then catch hannah goldie as she continues to you know sticks and moves and tries to stick and move effectively i just don't think she does it too effectively also uh, I think the best way for Hannah Goldie to approach this fight and actually secure a win here is go for the takedowns. We know Belbita doesn't really have much off of her back, especially against legitimate competition. And I don't know if Hannah Goldie is truly legitimate competition in this spot here, but I do think that she's strong enough to control Belbita if she actually you know, decides to take her down or clinch her up against the cage. And she should be able to score some damage and control time there that could potentially sway the fight in her favor. But Belbita, she's got to know. She's got to learn from the mistakes from her last fight against Liana Jojo, where you know she had tremendous success with the striking, but then decided to clinch up with her, managed to get the fight to the ground, and then she finds herself in her armbar shortly thereafter. She's she must have learned from that. She must have been like, "Fuck, what was I thinking? I was having tremendous success with my striking. Why did I close the distance? Why did I get involved with the clinch?" Let me try to do the same thing here with Hannah Goldie. Let me get my striking going and let that speak for itself. I think there is a potential for Balbita to potentially get a finish in this spot. You know, I do think that she'll be able to clip Hannah Goldie at opportune moments, good counters, uh, you know, great, great uh, timing in terms of waiting for uh, Hannah Goldie to close the distance. Uh, but I do think that Hannah Goldie is durable as well, too. So there's there's a question mark in regards to Diana Belbita's finishing ability overgrows that can actually take damage like Babita obviously on the regional scene had tremendous success putting away women but I just don't think that they were truly like solid UFC level com competitors right I think that she had a legit um padded record on the regional scene before she ended up coming to the UFC but I, I do like her in the spot though I like I said I think she's gonna land the better uh in the striking exchanges I think she'll be able to land more damage and I just think that uh point style of Hannah Goldie is just very difficult to uh to to secure his victories especially when she's getting popped and uh you know with with her head just snapping back with all the shots that her opponent's landing on her and then all she's doing is just flicking her leg out there just throwing a, a wild combination that more often than not is just missing so uh, i do think the wrong person is favored i think by fight time the right person will be favored in balbita uh shout out to anybody that got in that plus 140 plus 150 mark for balbita i think you got tremendous value there now let's just see them go inside the cage and actually compete against each other not saying that balbita is this crazy you know talent or anything like that but given how these two women match up against each other i think that we'll see balbita get the better of them especially in the striking exchanges and then landing the more damaging blows so i'm going to go with then 
Diana Balbita. I'm going to take her by decision, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a finish, uh, especially with the power that she seems to conceal in her hands and, and her punches. So I'm going to go Diana Balbita via decision. Sajara Eubanks versus Elise Reed. We got minus 330 on Sajara and plus 270 on the UFC newcomer Elise Reed. Now, Elise Reed coming over from the CFFC on short notice. She is the strawweight champion over there, accruing a record of 4 0. And now she gets the call up to the big show on short notice as Eubanks' last opponent fell out. Now, uh, important to note, Elise Reed is coming up to 125 pounds for this matchup. And on the flip side, Sajara Eubanks is trying to go back to 125 pounds where she's had. Had, uh, trouble in the past in terms of trying to make that weight so all eyes are going to be on eubanks this weekend as she tries to make 125 pounds once again and it obviously gets much more uh, difficult for fighters as they start to get up there in age as well too and that's exactly what's happening with sajara eubanks this weekend however if sajara eubanks hits that scale looks in phenomenal shape it looks like she's ready to go I think this fight will absolutely look like the minus 330 that Sajar Eubanks is currently lined at. A lot of people laugh at Sajar Eubanks being the biggest favorite on this card, but once you see the stylistic matchup here, I think it's completely, or I think it's a complete nightmare for Elise Reed. I think that we'll see uh, Sajar Eubanks land takedowns almost at will in this spot, and then from there she should be able to get her black belts to go to work and possibly find a submission. I can't count on one hand how many times uh, I've seen Elise Reed get stuck in an armbar position uh, for from one of her opponents throwing something up and albeit it was them off of their back i think that if it was to dry eubanks in those positions she probably finishes that submission and elise reed probably has at least one loss on her record at this point in time but I think that one loss is going to come this weekend as Sajar Eubanks should be able to cl uh, close distance, uh, be strong enough to drag this fight to the ground, then get her jujitsu game going and quickly find a submission thereafter. Uh, Reed will have the advantage on the feet. She comes from a Taekwondo and uh, karate background, and I think that's definitely going to play in favor in her favor here the longer that this fight stays in the striking realm. Uh, I will start to sweat it a little bit. I'm not saying I'm playing Sajar Eubanks, but I might have her on a couple parlays if she looks good on the scales, but I might start to sweat it a little bit if this fight does find itself in the second and third rounds or later in the second and third round as Elise Reed probably has a better cardio in this fight, not to mention with Eubanks going back to 125 pounds, it could potentially have some issues with her uh, inside the cage, especially with the fight going deeper and deeper into the rounds. But I don't think that Eubanks is going to need three rounds to get rid of Reed here. I think she could get it done in the first or second round. Takedowns and then just swarm her, whether it's going to be TKO or submission. I think it's all going to be there for her. And I think that the level of competition is just a, you know, it's a giant step up for Elise Reed. Again, even though Sajar Eubanks holds a record of what, 7-6 and six or 6-6, six and six, I believe it is. She is probably the best 500 fighter right out there right now. And I say that with as much, you know, as much caution as possible because like again Sajar Eubanks is she going to be a champion probably not but relatively speaking when she's going up against a girl like Elise Reed who again coming up in weight is going to be at a massive strength disadvantage in my opinion I think it's going to be very difficult for her to deal with a girl like Sajara so yeah uh, again it's going to be the joke of the, the town that Eubanks is the biggest favorite on the card this weekend but I do think that's going to come into fruition especially when she's able to land takedowns and then eventually find that sub so I'm going to be going with Sajar Eubanks I'll go first round submission as I do think that just the the grappling advantage is going to be so massive for Sajar Eubanks once it hits the mat so once again I'll go Sajar Eubanks first round submission Andre Ewell versus Julio Arce. We got minus one, or sorry, minus 200 for Julio Arce. Plus 170 is the return on Andre Ewell. Now, this is going to be a striker's delight for as long as it stays on the feet, but I do think that Arce would have a decisive advantage if he decides to take this fight to the ground. Historically speaking, that's not what Julio Arce does, but he definitely does have that in his back pocket, as I do think he has a grappling advantage here over Andre Ewell. If this fight plays out in the striking realm, I feel like the, uh, the hand speed of Andre Ewell could cause Julio Arce some issues but it would be very good for Julio Arce to go back and watch that Chris Gutierrez fight as I'm sure him and his coaches Tiger Showman and that crew have definitely done and they know the leg kick is definitely the way to slow down Andre Ewell and then let the rest of your uh, combinations and your striking go after that you got to slow down Andre there's just, just no doubt about it right like he's always going to have the striking speed advantage uh, and he does a really good job in terms of maintaining the distance and keeping his strike long and 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 crisp and right down the middle which is why he's having a ton of success in terms of kind of just 
you know, utilizing that reach advantage and keeping his opponents at the end of his jab and his uh, one-two. I think that RSA will have success in terms of landing leg kicks here, finding his way on the outside and landing the better exchanges, or at least getting the better of the exchanges, which is why he's the favorite in this spot. I think he just has more tools to win here than Andre Ewell, but Ewell could definitely run away with this fight if Arce just goes out there and tries to throw hands with him and thinking that's the best way that he's going to win this fight. He's got a kick 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 that should slow down you will not saying specifically even the calf kick just kick Ewell's leg is out there to be chewed up and I don't think he's good, as good from his primary stance as he is from his secondary stance so if you can force him to go to a secondary stance I think that opens up the 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 success uh, that uh, Arce could have with his striking especially with his hands now that he doesn't have to worry about you know um, Ewell being in his primary stance and having the most effective jab and ex effective striking from that position so if Arce can batter up that lead leg force Ewell to change uh, um to change stances i think uh, his striking should be able to open up a lot more there i do like rsa in this spot minus 200 is intriguing to me but the fact that we haven't seen him since ufc 244 i believe that was way back in november of 2019 is a little bit of a concern here so i'm looking forward to seeing what rsa look, looks like once he steps back inside the cage but i think he has all the tools to go out there and style on a guy like andre ewell ewell should be able to beat the Erwin Rivera's you know he should be able to get the better of those types of matches but I do think he's going to fall into trouble here when he has a guy that has more variety of strikes just like a guy like Julio Arce training like I said with the Tiger Showman brothers uh Jimmy Rivera uh Shane Burgos Lyman Good I'm always going to be able to drop those guys these names because they are very good training partners to have even though they're you know MMA careers probably aren't championship level or anything like that to have competitive guys like that to train with on a day-to-day -day basis is going to be nothing but good for you and I've, i like the fact that they're actually keeping it nice and tight there too in terms of just a small crew of guys i do think that rsa will get the better of the striking exchanges here especially if he starts with leg kicks and even ends with leg kicks with the combinations and i think it's going to cause you with some troubles here especially with being effective with the style that he normally has which is jab from the outside stick and move stick and move stick and move the last thing i'll say about this matchup you will has a propensity to start to slow down as fights start to go later especially when you're kind of pushing him back for the majority of the fight which is what i think that arce will be successful in doing here we saw Erwin Rivera have some success on Ewa later in the fight as Ewa's reactive uh, nature starts to dwindle uh, he starts to you know slow down like i said um it, it's a tough style to keep a cardio pace with right like the way that andre Ewell fights he relies heavily on his speed which definitely is a, a huge uh you know a plus for him but to do that over 50 minutes over a guy that's trying to take your head off the entire time is very difficult to do so i think that arce will get stronger as this fight goes on and then if he does attack the legs as i think he should and will uh that will obviously slow down you will even more the later that this fight goes and it could potentially open up a finishing scenario for Arce. So uh, I will actually go with Arce via finish. I'm going to go with Arce uh, third round TKO in this spot. I think it's a proper uh, third round spot for anybody that likes those types of props. And I do think that he'll take full advantage of it. The layoff is a little bit of a concern, but I have no doubt that even if Ewell comes off of a layoff, or sorry, even if Arce comes off of this long of a layoff, he should go in there and do absolute work against Andre Ewell. So I'm going Julio Arce, and I'll take him by third round decision, or third round TKO. Adrian Yanez versus Randy Costa. We got minus 225 for Adrian Yanez and plus 185 for randy costa and now this has got to be the most anticipated fight at least for mma twitter for this weekend's card as we get two very entertaining strikers who want to go out there and implement their game yanez more so with the boxing style randy costa with that a uh, little bit more wild muay thai kickboxing style that he brings to the table now the difference here with randy costa is he's truly invested in himself going down to florida training at sanford mma putting in the rounds putting in the time and uh, truly should go out there and show some solid improvements once he steps in the cage it's been a long time since we've actually seen him in the cage last time he was in the cage he went out there and fought uh journey newson and was able to quickly dispose of him uh less than 30 seconds i believe it only took for that fight to occur i was on journey journey newson that that night as i do believe that uh, or did believe that he was going to be able to survive that early onslaught for randy costa 
convert them into takedowns and then eventually find a submission probably in that second round. I do believe that Costa still has some lingering cardio issues as we've seen when he went into the second round against Brandon Davis. He kind of empties his gas tank early and then kind of pays for it a little bit later, especially if he's not able to find that knockout blow. Here against Adrian Yanez, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to find the button on Yanez uh, as Yanez does a very good job in terms of his striking defense, always has a nice high guard. So I'd be surprised if Randy Costa caught him with anything that, uh, you know, would put Yanez on wobbly legs or anything like that. Um, I'm interested to see what kind of improvements we'll see from Costa now that he's had a, you know, a solid amount of time down there at Sanford MMA and has truly started to, you know, maybe added some other tools to his game. Uh, I'm very intrigued to see what, what he brings to the table, but at times he gets a little bit too wide with the, or wild and wide with the striking, which is just an absolute nightmare for himself, especially when he's going up against which, uh, such a precision striker like Adrian Yanez. It's hard not to say that Yanez wins this fight at, at a pretty good clip. Earlier in the week, I was a little bit more concerned about the potential improvements that we're going to see for Randy Costa, which led me to believe that the Yanez line was just a little bit too wide. But now once you watch the tape and you truly remind yourself, you know, why Randy Costa was a little bit of a question mark coming into the UFC, it was because he's just going out there and starching guys that didn't even deserve to be in the cage to begin with. Then we saw in his UFC debut, gets drowned by Brandon Davis and then finished in the second round. But he goes out there and has two solid knockout victories, Boston Salmon and uh, and Journey Newsom last time around. But Adrian Yan is, is a far cry from those two guys. And I think that he's going to cause a ton of problems for Randy Costa. I just want to see how Costa approaches this fight. Uh, I just don't know if he's going to make massive amounts of improvements in terms of like, you know, mixing in takedowns and doing that type of thing. I, I think that's going to be difficult for him to do, especially against a very tested and experienced Adrian Giannis, who's fought very difficult wrestlers in the past and has done a good job in terms of nullifying what they're able to do in return. Uh, and I'd be surprised if Randy Costa has crazy amount of success because a lot of guys in the past have just not had that against Giannis, especially with grappling. Uh, so I do think that this will turn out to be a striking contest. I do think that Costa will either, you know, overextend a little bit and we'll see a, a beautiful counter from Giannis to put him out. Or if this fight does start to reach the second and third round, uh, I think we'll see a drop in the productivity uh, and the activity, I should say, activity of Randy Costa. And uh, I think that's where we'll see Adrian Giannis really start to open up and then find that knockout blow. Uh, I, I like, you know, if if they had the under two and a half as the widely available um Lying here, I'd be a little bit more excited. It seems like the widely available total is going to be the one and a half. Under one and a half is at plus 105. I see this fight going into the second round. I, I, I feel like it will. Unless, of course, like I said, Randy Costa completely overextends on something and leaves himself wide open to being knocked out by Adrian Yanez. Uh, I do like Giannis in this fight, though. I think he cruises here. I think he eventually finds that chin of Randy Costa. I'm going to go Adrian Giannis round two knockout. Again, I think he's just a much better fighter all around, but specifically in the striking realm, which is where he's going to have a massive advantage with his striking defense, and then obviously his offense, which we know is you know almost near perfect. So I do like Giannis here. I'm going to go second round knockout for Mr. Dr. Pepper, uh, Adrian Giannis. Ian Heinish versus Nasserdine Imovov. We got minus 150 on the Hurricane, and we got plus 130 on the Russian Sniper. Uh, I believe it's Russian Sniper, French Sniper? One of those. He's a sniper, apparently. Nasserdine Imovov. I'm going to start off on the Ian Heinish side of things, who's on a little bit of a rough patch right now. One and three in his last four fights. The only one win being a quick starching of Gerald Mearshart. And then after that, he went out there and got out grappled and outworked by a you know a very skilled Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, Gastelum was a pretty solid under our favorite going into that fight and deservedly so he is very skilled and definitely skilled in in aspects of mma that ian heinish is more often than not having success uh with against his opponents which allowed kelvin gaston to kind of stifle the game plan of ian heinish in that fight now ian heinish going into that four fight uh, stretch that we were talking about uh was coming off two great wins over Caesar Mutanche Fajera and then obviously Antonio Carlos Jr after that but then he goes into his fight against Derek Brunson as you know somebody who has some steam behind him that a lot of people were really buying into he actually went into that Brunson fight as the minus 150 favorite 
And we saw what happens when he goes up against somebody that has a better wrestling background than him. And that's exactly what happened in the Derek Brunson fight. He was not able to uh, resort to his grapple-heavy approach, which he's been able to do against past opponents, because Derek Brunson was pretty much stifling and shutting down any of the takedown attempts that Heiner's was, was throwing out there. And then from there, Brunson did good work on the feet in terms of outstriking him, outworking him, landing takedowns of his own, and then taking home a decision of victory. Same thing happened in his next fight against Omari Akhmedov. Not successful with many takedown attempts, which allowed Akhmedov to get a little bit more free and loose with his striking approach and then even landing takedowns of his own, bringing home another decision victory. So very frustrating matchups for uh, Heinish in those two matchups. And again, he gets another frustrating matchup against Calvin Gastelum last time around. Now, he's completely moved his training camp down to Sanford MMA, purchased a home with uh, his significant other down there, truly shows his full commitment commitment to his MMA game as well as truly rounding out his complete game by working with such a great gym like Sanford MMA. Uh, I, I like the fact that we saw him go out there and shoot takedowns as much as he did even in the losses that he has because that's how he wins. That's his best path to victory is outworking, out grappling, out clinching and just out muscling his opponents and I think he's going to have a significant strength and grappling advantage here over Nasadine Imovov. All week I've been banging the drum that I truly believe that this is a buy low spot for Ian Heinish as I do think he has a sizable grappling advantage in this fight and as well as a solid cardio advantage that should help him stay out of trouble that uh, Phil Hawes managed to find himself in in that round three against Imovov last time around. Oh, did I say Phil Hawes? Phil Hawes is the guy that last time around beat Imovov with the exact same game plan that I expected Ian Heinish to go out there and win with. They are now training partners, so I'm sure that there are a couple of things that he can definitely tell him in terms of what he felt with Imovov when he was in the cage with him, but not to mention the coaching staff is already very familiar with Nasruddin Imovov, and I truly think that Heinish will, will be able to implement that same Phil Hawes type of game plan, but even more efficiently because I do think he has the better cardio uh, and gas tank to go out there and land takedowns and just truly rough up his opponent. So I do like Ian Heinish in the spot quite a lot. You know, Nasruddin Imovov, what he's good at, he's definitely going to be the better striker in this fight. Don't get me wrong, but there are certain things out there. I, I just stumbled upon something today that apparently he had a, a surgery on his hand uh, 13 weeks ago. Um, you know, so sure, he's at a full training camp with his hand at all, maybe 100%, but that should definitely impact the amount of uh, knockout power that he's able to produce, especially in a fight against Ian Heinrich, who's just going to be, you know, forever moving, moving around, and then obviously getting his clinch game going and dragging him to the ground. So if this fight is on the feet for 15 minutes, yeah, I'm going to be shitting my pants because I just think that there's no way that Ian Heinrich wins this fight in a kickboxing fight for, again, 15 minutes. I am absolutely certain that he should be shooting a takedown within two minutes of this fight and t- shooting at least six, seven, eight takedowns, whatever it might take to take uh, Imovov down time and time again, secure the takedown, secure the control time, and really start to work Imovov. And I do think think Imovov has a bit of a cardio issue himself. And even though it looked good against uh, Phil Hawes last time around, we know how bad Phil Hawes' gas tank is. And the fact that, uh, you know, anytime Imovov landed on Phil Hawes, Phil Hawes just does not react well to getting punched. We know Ian Heinish can definitely take a punch. He has great durability, and he should be able to take anything that Imovov is throwing his way this weekend. And I do think that he'll be able to manifest uh, not manifest it. I, I'm sure that he'll be able to take it, uh, convert them into takedowns, and then get his own game going, which is just that Ian the Hurricane Heinish game. Just put his put his opponent in a hurricane, uh, grappling, clinching, takedowns, all that stuff. He should have massive amounts of success here against Imovov, and I think that he's going to take home a decision victory. Minus 150 is a gift, in my opinion. I'll also be stabbing the round three prop in this. I do think that Heinish has a good shot of potentially finishing this fight the later that it goes, especially with a, a gassed out Imovov, who's just going to be dealing with a relentless takedown approach from Ian Heinish. So I like Heinish here. Official pick is going to be, th- uh, be decision, but I do think that uh, the uh, the third round prop is worth a bit of a sprinkle in this matchup because it definitely does favor Heinish from beginning to end. Uh, yeah, I-, I like Ian Heinish a lot in this spot. I'm sure you guys can tell he's my lock of the night play for this weekend, but I do like him uh, plenty, and I think he's going to get the job done here against Nasudimi Imovov. So once again, I'm going Ian Heinish, and I'm taking him via decision. Punahale Soriano versus Brandon Allen. We got a pick em fight here, minus 110 on both sides, and it absolutely makes sense because this fight could go 
either way. You know what I mean? I think that Soriano has decent uh, wrestling uh, or has a decent wrestling background, which should allow him to kind of keep this fight on the feet. And then after that, it's just all power in terms of what he's going to be bringing to the table with the striking wild winging hooks, which is usual for him. But he is very explosive and can close distance pretty quickly and find that chin. And he should be able to put most people's lights out just as he did against Dusko Todorovic in his last fight. Now, Dusko did have some success in terms of playing on the outside and kind of picking him apart. But it was just a matter of time between before Punahale was uh, going to be successful and starting to land on that chin. And he started landing, started landing more. And then he eventually found that knockout. So good win for Punahali that time uh, against Dusko Todorovic. Now this time around against Brendan Allen, he's getting a guy that's going to be looking to take this fight to the ground and try to implement his striking. And hopefully Brendan Allen doesn't go out there and try to follow his Strickland game plan, which is go out there and strike with the striker. And that's exactly what he should not uh, do, which is why we saw him uh, in his last fight go out there and actually drag the fight to the ground and look to actually get the submission relatively quickly. I believe his last fight... I just want to get my, uh, yeah, the last fight was against Carl Roberson. Easy ability to get the fight to the ground. And then after that, he was able to take over. Um, I think he's going to struggle to get Soriano down, though. Soriano, very strong. I don't think he has uh, much longevity in terms of being like a top five kind of guy. But uh, but uh, stylistically speaking and matchup-wise, I feel like this is a good matchup for him to stifle the grapple-heavy approach that should be coming from uh, Brendan Allen. And then after that, going out there and looking for the knockout, which I think he should be able to get. Uh, we've seen Brendan Allen, like I said, get knocked out a couple fights ago by Sean Strickland. That was him not following the best game plan, and which is why he ended up faltering in that fight but I do think that we'll see Soriano once again find that chin of Allen and put him out uh Brendan Allen down at Sanford MMA for a couple training camps now and it seems like he's truly getting comfortable over there but I don't know how much improvements he can truly make in his striking that will make a difference in this fight against Punahale who seems durable by all by all accounts he looks durable looks like he can take a punch and I'd be very surprised if Brendan Allen is going to be able to muster up something that's actually going to put uh, Soriano on wobbly legs or make him do the chicken dance or anything like that so I do think that we see Soriano have success in terms of nullifying the takedown attempt from Brendan on Allen keeping the the fight in the striking realm landing his blitzing attacks explosive attacks close the distance and landing big shots on Brendan Allen uh and uh I think Soriano wins this fight with that said uh I would rather take the the, the value possible not not the value but like the um not leaving much money on the table in terms of taking Soriano, as I believe his win condition is a knockout here. If he is able to secure that knockout in the first round, you know, I believe uh, Soriano inside the distance is around plus 160. I would rather take that shot than take the money line. Uh, that is being a little bit greedy, and it's not a huge uh, jump in a price in terms of taking him as a slight uh, or, or just taking him at pick him odds. But I'd be very surprised if he actually wins this fight via decision, because I believe if this fight does extend past that one and a half round mark, we should see Brendan Allen start to secure some takedowns and really start to threaten with his jiu-jitsu and find a finish of his own so what i'd look i'd be looking to do is maybe parlaying the fight doesn't go to decision i think that's a solid uh parlay piece as both guys have finishing intentions and possibly could be finished as well uh but the pick officially is actually going to be uh um Hale Soriano I'm going to take him to win this fight via first round KO after stifling that grapple heavy attack from Brendan Allen so once again I'm going to go Hale Soriano and I'm going to take him by first round knockout Jordan Williams versus Mickey Gall. We got minus 165 on Jordan Williams and plus 145 on Mickey Gall. Now let's start off on the Jordan Williams side of things who's coming off a loss to Nasruddin Imavov in his first fight in the UFC but that was uh, right after he had a very uh, impressive performance on the contender series, getting a first round knockout over Gregory Rodriguez en route to getting his uh, shot inside the UFC. So he deserved a contract that night. And not to mention, that was actually his third attempt on the contender series. The third time is a charm, it seems like. But before that, he did have a, uh, a, a knockout victory over Tim Karen. I believe that was overturned due to a positive marijuana test. I could be off on that, but it, it, it did get changed to an old contest. And then uh, he went over to Bellator had one win over there and then uh came back to the contender series and lost a split decision to ramazan kuramagomadov uh close fight there back and forth uh both guys had a ton of success in that fight but they did start to really wear it and their cardio was definitely showing the later that the fight went but then again there were they were putting on a hellacious pace in that fight so you can't really blame them for that but in the nasruddin imovov fight we did see the cardio issues come back and bite jordan williams in the butt and we saw imovov get the better of the striking exchanges especially when both of these guys start to slow 
slow down. There's plenty of moments in this fight where you see both guys looking up at the cage in that third round, just like, oh crap, I got another two and a half minutes of this shit to go. Uh, so th th that is definitely a big, uh, you know, red flag for both of these guys here. But luckily for Jordan Williams, he's going up against a guy in Mickey Gall who I still think needs more work. It's it's very unfortunate that he made his UFC debut as a one and O pro going up against Mike Jackson, quickly getting a finish there you know earning himself a shot at cm punk and then quickly disposing of him a couple months later then he starts getting thrown to the wolf he gets he gets a couple wins sage northcutt and slim toahari but then when he starts taking steps up in competition like diego sanchez and mike perry he starts to falter i will say though i feel like we saw some solid improvements in his striking game in his last fight against mike perry he even won that first round strictly off of striking and then mike perry decided to throw his wrestling singlet on start to take the fight to the ground in the second and third round and that was enough for him to win that uh fight via decision mickey galdo seems to have a skeptical gas tank of his own that's a, a very big question mark that we have here i will give jordan williams a slight advantage in the striking realm in this fight but in terms of dragging this fight to the ground uh very difficult that uh you know, I, I do think that Mickey Gall does have the grappling advantage in this fight, but I don't think that it's going to be a massive advantage to the point that he's just going to, you know, take this fight to the ground and submit Jordan Williams right off the bat. Williams definitely has some jiu-jitsu skills of his own, and I think that he's going to be fine if this fight does hit the ground, but I think that this could look like an absolute slop fest if it reaches that over one and a half mark, which I think it's end up, which I think it's going to actually end up doing. I do lean the Jordan Williams side here, though, ever so slightly. I have no intentions of betting anything on this fight other than the potential violence bet under two and a half would be a little bit interesting to me. But I do think that Jordan Williams can go out there, I don't know, and possibly get a knockout of Mickey Gall in that second round. Uh, again, even though I'm saying Gall has made some improvements in his striking, we know how rudimentary at times Mike Perry can be on the feet, you know, especially with this bruiser, bull type of style. Uh, it, it, you know, again, the fresh Mickey Gall was definitely having some success, but I think he's going to have some trouble here with Jordan Williams and the potential power that Williams brings to the cage here. So I'm going to go with Jordan Williams. Uh, not keen on the price, not keen on this matchup much at all, but I do think that he has the power to go out there, land on Mickey Gall, drop him, and follow up put some uh, ground and pound and get him out of there so i'm gonna go with jordan williams via tko i'm gonna call it the second round but this this is a clusterfuck of a fight we got 10 11 other fights on this card there's no need to 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 focus in too much on this one trust me there's much better money to be made elsewhere so i'm gonna go with uh jordan williams and i'll take him by first second round tko Macy Barber versus Miranda Maverick. We got minus 135 on Maverick and plus 115 on the future Macy Barber. Now, this is an intriguing fight because now Macy Barber is coming off of two straight losses after she had made all these claims about the fact that she wanted to be the youngest champion in UFC history. Now, I don't think that goal is going to be achievable at this point in time as she's going to have to put together at least two or three solid wins before she could even sniff a title shot at this point in time. With that said, she has a very stiff test ahead of her and Miranda Maverick, which is why Maverick is actually the favorite going into this fight uh pre-tape i was very much of the belief that i thought i was going to come out with the macy barber side of things as i do think that there could potentially be some recency bias and a little bit of an overcorrection in the fact that macy barber has lost her last two fights but i do think that you know a loss to alexa grasso is not the end of the world as i truly believe that is a high level opponent but once you start to run the tape you start to begin to see that you know the the advantage that i believe that macy barber has was, was the striking and the power but i do think that miranda Mad is smoothing out her game and really starting to become a solid striker which should help her uh, remain uh, competitive in this fight if it does play out on the feet for the majority of 15 minutes with that said though I think the difference maker here is going to be the fact that Miranda Maverick has such a good fight IQ and eye for the ability to just mix in takedowns at the the most opportune moments to take advantage of their opponent's slacking, especially with their opponents thinking that it's mainly going to be a striking battle. She's landed beautiful takedowns in the past, and I do think that she's going to be able to do the same thing against Barber here. But Barber could surprise us and look for takedowns of her own, as she's a very strong individual in her own right. Another change that Macy Barber has made in preparation for this fight is she's actually gone over to Team alpha male and seeking help over there to try to find that missing link that missing piece which is you know keeping her from getting victories in her last couple fights 
Obviously, there's a little bit of controversy marring that Roxanne Mataferi fight, considering the fact that Macy Barber tore her ACL in that fight and it was fighting on a bum leg for the majority of it. But if I'm not mistaken, that injury actually occurred in the second round. And in that first round, Roxanne Mataferi was having a ton of success, uh, you know, even on the feet, landing some good shots and then eventually landing a takedown and then just controlling her from the top position. I can see Maverick have the same success in terms of landing some good shots on the feet and then landing a takedown and then just grinding the rest of the round out from that point. Uh, there was also other fights in Macy Barber's past, right? JJ Aldrich, I took a shot on her as an underdog to Macy Barber, and she put up a hellacious uh, pace and 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 a lot of success in that first round against Macy, landing some good shots, rocking her, hurting her at certain points. Uh, but then in that second round, we saw Barber get her shit back together, land the big shots against Aldrich, and then obviously get that finish, uh, you know, saving herself from losing that first round. Um, but I do think that Maverick, like I said, making good uh, improvements on a fight-to-fight basis. Her striking is improving. She has some good power in her hands as well. But I believe the ability for her to mix up the takedowns and get takedowns and secure takedowns and control time will be enough to her, will be enough for her to pull off a decision victory in this spot. I'm just intrigued to see what kind of approach we're going to be seeing from Macy Barber here, as I think she needs a little bit of an overhaul in her game to truly have success in this matchup. And I think that's going to have to come down to her even landing takedowns in this fight to potentially start to sway the judges but i think that we've seen it more so from maverick's side and she's been successful with it which is why i believe that she's going to be able to do the same thing here again against the future macy barber so i'm going with miranda maverick i think the striking will be competitive and then ultimately i think it's going to be the takedowns that will ultimately sway the judges in her favor and she should be able to take home a decision victory so once again i'm going miranda maverick via decision Darren Elkins versus Derek Minner. We got plus 150, or sorry, plus 130 on the damage and minus 150 on Derek Minner. Let's start off on the Minner side of things. And he's coming off a very impressive performance in his last fight where we saw him win by decision the first in a long time that he was able to secure. More often than not, people know Derek Minner for going out there and getting a first-round submission. I believe 22 or 23 out of his 25 victories have come via submission or finish. And uh, more often than not, if it, if his fight does reach the second round, he starts to dwindle in regards to his cardio and his gas tank and his opponents are able to take advantage. More often than not, finishing him later, the fight goes. But we saw him have tremendous success against Charles Rosa, taking him down time and time again, controlling him, not being too overzealous in terms of looking for submissions or anything like that, which allowed him to truly prolong his uh, cardio and his gas tank in that fight. And it didn't seem too difficult to hold down Charles Rosa, who was... I will say he was throwing up a couple of submissions here and there, but Derek Minner was definitely savvy enough in terms of staying a step ahead so that he could get out of those submissions. He's going to have to do the same thing here against Darren Elkins if he's going to true to, if he's going to try to find some success. But I think the difference here is that he's actually going to get some resistance and some serious resistance from Darren Elkins. And I think he's going to struggle with it the longer that this fight goes. Now there's this mythical beast that a lot of people are thinking that Darren uh, that uh, Minner is currently just because he's moved on over to. Uh, my guy James Cross's gym over there at Glory Kickboxing and Fitness and I Glory MMA I believe it is actually um Glory MMA and Fitness I believe that's what the gym's name is but either way uh, a lot of people believe that he's truly turned a corner at this point in his career he's 31 years old who has 36 fights I believe at this point in time uh, and at this point he's finally starting to change his game around and trying to be a more complete fighter rather than just looking for you know a submission early and then getting finished late I need more than one fight to truly say that this is what Derek Minard is now, right? Like, there was that time when we had the uh, clear round tree fight when he went out there and just absolutely battered Eric Anders for 15 minutes. And a lot of people are like, oh, shit, you know, Khalil Roundtree or Ty Leal, as I used to call him, is a mythical beast that not a lot of people are going to be able to beat. You know, he went into the Iwan Kutilaba fight with a lot of steam and a lot of people expected him to go out there and do the same thing to Kutilaba. But Kutilaba's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm going to take it to the ground and I'm going to make it a very difficult night for you. And still, Tyleel still cannot capture what he did at UFC 236 when he battered and bruised Eric Anders the way that he did. I'm thinking right now that it's almost the same thing here with Derek Minner. Let's see him do it for a couple of fights and get some wins by decision again. Or, you know, even if he gets a submission, obviously that's the way he prefers to win. Who wants to fight 15 minutes if they can only fight two or three minutes and still get the same type of money, right? So I'm sure he's going to be fishing for submissions here and there against Darren Elkins. But Elkins is very savvy. Obviously of a high level veteran at this point in time in terms of being around the UFC for as long as he has. Has fought the who's who of, his, uh, of the divisions, the 145, 155 pound divisions. He's just been around for a 
long time, and it's been a l- very difficult for some opponents to find that success against him, right? He's been there's been other instances where he's going up against solid grapplers and getting much better uh, success against those guys, right? Like uh, the the, the Kelly and then surviving the beating that he took from Mirsad Bektic and then eventually coming back in that third round and finishing him. Like seeing him have competitive moments against those types of fighters, I feel as though he'll be able to do the same thing here against uh, um, Derek Minner. He should survive the first round, and I think after that it's going to be a little bit more too much uh, resistance for Derek Minner to deal with, and, and that's where I think his gas tank issues is going to start to come into to play again darren uh, darren elkins as you showed in his last fight against eduardo garagori that he he still has a ton to offer to the game he can land takedowns he has a very uh vicious pressure and pace that not a lot of people are able to keep up with and even though he's slow on the feet and easily hittable i don't think that derek minner is that big of a uh a threat on the feet that I need to worry about to Darren Elkins going out there and absolutely starching uh, Elkins on the feet. I do think that we'll see, uh, you know, Elkins survive the submission onslaught that will probably be coming at him early in this fight. And then after that, in the second and third rounds, we'll see him go out there, complete takedowns and really start to rough up Derek Minner from the top position. Uh, Darren Elkins, I believe in the uh, featherweight division has the most takedowns completed at about 46 takedowns. So you definitely know what his game plan is, is to just to go in there, try to get the fight to the ground and start grinding his opponent and then eventually either finding a submission tko or just grinding them to a decision victory i'm expecting him to do that here against Derek Minner, who i still don't believe is has turned a page you know what i mean i need more than one fight and in a fight where i believe that darren elkins could have a ton of success you know at plus 133 i had to pull the trigger myself i felt as though that he's going to put up a really good fight here he's going to fight you for your money he's definitely a warrior uh that and the soldiers that's going to go out there and and really compete for your underdog money and i do think that uh, Derek Minner again could have success in that first round could potentially find a submission in that first round the last time that Darren Elkins has actually been submitted was 11 years ago by the current champ uh, Charles Oliveira so it's been a long time since we've seen Elkins get wrapped up in something like that he has been finished by punches uh, but I do think I, I don't think that Darren uh, I keep getting there, Darren and Derek. I keep getting messed up. So let's try to go by the the, the last names. I don't think that Minner is much of a threat on the feet, though. I think that he's going to struggle there. And I think that Darren Elkins will take advantage of the takedowns once they present themselves. And I do think that his submission defense is good enough to stay out of the submission attempts that are inevitably going to be coming his way. So I do like Elkins here. I think he can grind this fight out via decision. And I'm also going to be taking a little bit of a shot on Elkins in round three, as I do think that it has a good shot of hitting, especially with uh, the gas tank issues that we've seen Derek Minner have in the past so Charles Russell fight is not enough to sway me that Darren uh or that Darren uh Derek Minner has turned a page and, and is this new fighter all of a sudden if he goes out there and does it against Darren Elkins again I'd be a little bit more impressed and a little bit more of the belief that he has turned a new leaf but give me that underdog money against a proven soldier that's going to go out there and make fighters drown and more than likely make fighters break and if they don't break they usually get the win but if they break Darren Elkins truly breaks them and then starts to pull away as the the fight continues to go further so uh, official pick is going to be Elkins by decision but I uh, might take a little bit of a stab on that Derek uh, Darren Elkins round three as I do think that cardio issue four minutes is going to come into play again and he could slow down and possibly get finished by that insane pace and zombie-esque style of Darren Elkins so once again Darren Elkins via submission Kyler Phillips versus Holly and Paiva we got minus 270 for a Holly and oh sorry for a Kyler Phillips and plus 230 for a Holly and Paiva now I think this line is just completely out of whack don't get me wrong I think Kyler Phillips is a very talented fighter with a ton of potential for his future but I do think that this is a very difficult matchup for him with Holly and Paiva who could make it you know a much closer line than that line actually indicates um Kyler Phillips originally opened up as a minus 150s favorite and we've seen him quickly get stabbed or uh, bet up to that minus 300 mark. I think that line is completely off. I do think that Paiva holds value at plus 230 and I think this line is going to get even wider as the fight week continues to progress. I do think that we're going to see a ton of people just automatically throw Kyler Phillips into parlays and just play him for the shits just because he, he's minus 300. You know, he seems to have a very flashy fighting style and he seems to have a good style to beat a guy like Holly and Paiva. But Paiva, you know, very skilled fighter in his own right. He was a f- former 125er, had a lot of trouble making the weight. I think he botched his last weight cut, which is why they didn't end up fighting. Uh, and then obviously he missed weight pretty bad against Zalgastu Magulov. Even though he ended up getting the victory there, I still don't think that we saw the best Holly and Paiva in that fight. 
With that said, now he's at 135 pounds, taking this fight on somewhat short notice, maybe doing a favor for the UFC. But I do think that we'll see the best version of Paiva this weekend, as we'll have ever seen before. You know, he has to cut 10 pounds less, which I think, which I think is going to pay dividends for him, especially once he gets into the cage and has his, all his facilities about him. And I think that's going to help him in this fight against Kyler Phillips. Uh, Paiva more often than not is the one that's kind of moving forward and kind of pushing the pace and dictating the pace of his fights and there are times where you see Kyler Phillips kind of giving up that control to his opponent allowing them to kind of march him down but he does kind of thrive in those situations at times too just like the Song Yudong fight right Song is a bruiser a bull that kind of just likes to move forward and throw his wide winging hooks just waiting for those that opportunity to knock your head into the fourth row but I think that he just the fact that he wasn't able to find that success against Kyler Phillips allowed Kyler Phillips to look even better than a lot of people expected him to if you guys remember Kyler was a plus 140 dog going into that fight and now all of a sudden he's a minus 300 favorite over a guy in who I believe was a flyweight uh, dark horse uh, I think that's crazy not to mention I think that he was cutting way too much weight to make 125 pounds and now being at 135 I think we'll see the best version of him uh, one thing that Song Yudong was having a ton of success with, which I think that um, we'll see Paiva have even more success with, success with uh, especially with being more consistent than uh, Song Yudong was with uh, was with it is the leg kicks you know that that's a great way to slow down a guy that likes to move as much as Kyler Phillips and likes to close the distance and blitz forward and try to land the shots that he does but I think he's going to struggle with the leg kicks that Paiva is going to be landing here who should uh, as he should be able to start to slow down Kyler Phillips as this fight goes on and then I think that uh, Paiva has great striking all around as well leg kicks his boxing looks great his Muay Thai looks great he has a great uppercut as well that he times very well against his opponents and I think that he's going to be able to land a lot of big shots here against Kyler Phillips uh, Kyler you know uh, he should have success in terms of using his matador approach here but I think the fact that he's going to be moving backwards the entire time while eating shots does not look good in the judges scorecards or, or at least in the the, the judges eyes um, I think that Paiva will kind of like corral him put him up against the cage and and really uh, kind of beat him up in that in those instances but another thing that gives me pause in terms of backing Paiva in this situation is that Paiva is hittable in his own right you know I think his striking defense needs a little bit of work but when he's really in his zone you really see him you know his head work, uh, head movement and, and slipping looks very much on point and he does a really good job in terms of nullifying the damage that is coming his way but then there are times where he's just getting absolutely touched up. Uh, but he has shown solid durability. Like he's eaten plenty of clean shots from heavy punchers like Kai Car France, who, you know, probably one of the heavier strikers at these lower weight classes. And we saw Paiva just move forward the entire time. Um, I thought Paiva won that fight. You know, I, I think he gave it back as well in the Zalgas fight. A lot of people think that uh, he didn't deserve to win that fight. You know, Zalgas made some good uh, fight IQ moments in that fight in terms of uh, landing takedowns when he did and mixing it up, landing some big shots on the feet as well. But I think that uh, Zalgas is a little bit more hard-nosed than what we're going to be seeing from Kyler Phillips in the spot. Kyler, like I said, gives up uh, the... the, the um, you know, uh, gives up the direction of the fight in terms of allowing his opponent to dictate where he kind of, you know, marches him forward and kind of just uh, looks like he's the one controlling the cage. Uh, Paiva should be the one controlling the cage in this fight. Uh, and then obviously marching forward, landing the strikes that he's landing, landing the leg kicks that he's landing. He's going to make this a very close fight and he's going to make it a huge, huge uh, sweat for anybody taking the juice here on Kyler Phillips. Shout out to anybody that got in on the opener for Phillips. That was probably the move. But now with the odds where are where they are and uh, given the skill set that I believe Holly and Paiva possesses, not to mention the black belt that he has in his back pocket in case Kyler Phillips wants to drag this fight to the ground. Paiva's done a really good job in terms of nullifying the damage that has been you know thrown at him whenever uh, fighters have taken him down and he does a good job in terms of getting back to his feet and then he has a pretty good takedown defense as well i believe it's around 80 percent and i think we uh, as if it shows up a little bit here against kyler phillips he should have a lot of success in terms of keeping this fight on the feet and then just continuously marching down kyler phillips making a very difficult fight for him as well so let's not get too caught up in the hype tax of Kyler Phillips here let's not get too caught up in the fact that you know he beat uh Gabriel Silva who had some success in the fight let's not even though Kyler Phillips took that fight <clears throat> clean on every single scorecard uh and, and won that fight 30 27 there was a lot of times where Gabriel Silva moving forward was landing some good combinations and really tracking down Kyler I think that Paiva will have even more success than Gabriel Silva did and he could potentially sway some judges and get some rounds in his pocket as well he beats Cameron Ellis, who I don't think is UFC level. I think I bet the under in that fight, too. That was an easy call. And then he goes out there and beats Seong Yudong. Again, his biggest win in the UFC to date as an underdog. 
So now all of a sudden he des- he he deserves to be a minus three hundred favorite against a guy in Paiva who's super skilled as well. So uh, I like Paiva here. Also now training out of Team Alpha Mill as well for the past couple camps. I'm, I can't wait to see what improvements and what parts of his game have truly uh, gotten better. But I definitely believe that uh, you know Team Alpha Mill has long been one of the best gyms in terms of the lighter weight classes, and I think they should be able to do some good stuff here with Holly and Paiva. So I'm going Paiva. All we like over the last couple of days, I kind of been flip flopping between the guys, but now I'm putting my uh, flag down. I am going to go with the Piva side of things. I might be making a bet on him as well. I'm just going to sit back <clears throat> and see what the betting public does to this line. If we continue to get a better line on Holly and Piva, it's just a matter of time until I officially push the, pull the trigger. So I do like Piva here. I'm going to take him to win by decision. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'm ready to look like an idiot if if this doesn't. I'll work out for me, but I think this line is a little bit too wide, and I've always been high on Paiva, uh, and even after running the tape, I feel just as high on him, as I do feel that this is a good spot for him to go go out and pull off that upset, and again, he's around plus 230, plus 240 at certain spots, so you don't have to risk a whole amount, even if you risk a half unit or something, I think you're, it, it, it's still worth a shot here, I'm figuring out whether I'm going to do a half unit or full unit, but I just want to see where this line ends up going as the fight we present, uh, progresses, so once again, I'm going to Holly and Paiva to pull off the upset, and win this fight via decision. Aspen Lad versus Macy Kiasson. We got minus 190 on Aspen Lad and plus 165 is the return on Macy Kiasson. Now, we haven't seen Aspen Lad inside the cage for a long time now. She's coming off an ACL and MCL surgery to completely reconstruct her knee and uh, now she's coming back. She's fully healthy, ready to go and she get, comes back to a pretty tough matchup in Macy Kiasson who, you know, has never really been the underdog in any one of her fights inside the UFC. Here she comes in as a plus 165 dog as a lot of people think that the, the UFC UFC level of experience from Aspen Ladd as well as the grappling advantage she could potentially have in this fight will be much uh will be the x factor in this fight I do think that she will be able to get Macy Kiasson down I'm not a true believer in Kiasson truly having the better grappling techniques than her opponents and even though she's been using it against her opponents and actually winning that way I think it's more so the fact that she's just a lot stronger and is able to outmuscle her opponents which is why she's able to get a lot of success she does carry some power in her hands which has obviously helped her out in terms of finding success and getting a couple of TKOs on her record but I do think she's going to run into some trouble here against Aspen Ladd who should be able to use a similar type of game plan but might be the stronger fighter and should be able to secure takedowns and clinch positions which should allow her to pull away with this fight with that said though there's just too many question marks regarding Aspen Ladd and her health and not to mention after such a serious surgery like that I can't truly be confident in her at that minus 190 mark now if this line was a little bit closer line if it was around minus 130 minus 140 for Aspen Ladd I'd be a little bit more you know excited to possibly take a shot on her here as I'm not really a big Macy Kiasson believer with that said, you know, if you guys remember the last time around Kiasson fought, I did take Renault against her. And I don't think anybody expected her to even win that first round. And that's exactly where Renault had the majority of her success. She went out there and put the beating on Kiasson on the feet, not by a wide margin, but just enough to ensure that all three judges gave her the scorecard on that first on that first round. And then in the second round, again, another close fight. Uh, or a close round but we did see Kiasan start to pull away a little bit with the clinch exchanges when she was the much stronger individual in those spots and then not to mention she did land a big shot that did hurt I believe it also broke the nose of Renault and then from there the the, the momentum completely changed and that's when we saw Kiasan really start to you know uh, pull ahead but it was a much closer fight than the odds indicated so I didn't mind the value that I was getting on Renault after that fight but it does show in those fights that you know there are certain flaws in Kiasan's game that can be taken advantage of. Another fight that I like to look back on for Kiasan that I think that she shows some flaws is when she took on short notice Caitlin Young, who I believe is actually a 125 or going up to 135 on short notice. And it definitely could, you know, you could definitely see the difference there, especially with the size when they actually stepped inside the cage. But it seemed like Kiasan was just after as de- was just after desperation takedowns uh time and time again to secure the takedowns, out muscle and out pretty much outwork her opponent and bully her. But there are so many instances where her desperation takedowns left her kind of over extending and luckily for her being the bigger stronger woman and maybe slightly more skilled opponent than uh, or slightly more skilled fighter than Caitlin Young she was able to get away with it but when she's fighting another skilled opponent like Aspen Ladd I think she's going to find herself into some in some trouble especially when she's not able to secure those big uh you know those dominant positions or get the better of those clinch exchanges uh, I think Aspen Ladd has the better cardio as well, so the deeper that this fight goes, I think it will be more in favor of Aspen Ladd. But I do like Ladd to win this fight via decision. I just don't have much 
confidence regarding the uh, the, the the play here. <clears throat> I see some people actually confident in the under. I'm not too much on that. I know it is plus 160, some decent plus money there, but I do think that Aspen Lad takes this fight via decision. She'll get the better of the clinch exchanges, better of the grappling exchanges. The striking is pretty much null, as I don't think either woman has much technical skills. They're, they're very strong and have some power in those hands, but I don't think that their striking is up to the par and it might look a little sloppy if this fight turns out to be a striking battle for 15 minutes. But I do think at a certain point, one of them is going to try to exploit the grappling advantage that they think they have. But the one that I know has a grappling advantage, or I believe has a grappling advantage, is Aspen Ladd. Let's see if she's able to replicate past performances of herself. And let's see how much of an impact that knee surgery truly had on her on her future and what her fighting capabilities are when she actually steps inside the cage. So I do like Aspen Lad plus 140 to win by decision, not too bad. Uh, that would probably be my play if I'm playing this fight at all. I do like Aspen Lad here. I think she gets the win over somewhat of a prospect, Macy Castle and still. I feel like we're still calling her prospect. But I do think that Aspen Lad has all the chops, all the experience uh, to go out there and make this her fight. So I'm going Aspen Lad, and I'm going to take her to win this fight via decision. Time for the main event. We got a big bantamweight clash here between Corey Sandhagen and the returning TJ Dillashaw. Very excited for this matchup, especially considering that we haven't seen TJ Dillashaw since I believe January of 2019 and probably... Yeah, I believe it was January of 2019 where he got knocked out by uh, Henry Suhudo when he went down in weight to try to capture two titles. Uh, he was trying to get the flyweight strap off of Henry Suhudo. Suhudo quickly disposes of him in about 30 seconds or so in that fight. Felt a little bit incomplete, obviously, considering the bickering and back and forth that we're getting between both fighters leading up to that fight. And then to have it stop so quickly was uh, a bit of a bummer for sure. But you got to say, you know, TJ Dillashaw definitely did not look good on the scales. It seemed like he was pushing his body a little bit too far to try to make this 125-pound weight class. And it feels like it, have to, it definitely had an, uh, an impact on his ability to sustain damage and his durability in that fight. And it definitely showed, as once again, as I said, Henry Suda was able to go out there and dispose of him real quick. Uh, obviously, we know that he popped for EPO after that. There are a lot of question marks whether he's been on EPO this entire time, uh, other kind of stairways that he could potentially be on. But the narrative that I'm seeing out there is that TJ Dillashaw is completely shot now. Like he's washed. There's you know no reason to even think about picking him in this spot. But I think that's where people are just taking those types of narratives and just blowing them out of proportion and not giving the complete respect that I I believe a guy like TJ Dillashaw deserves. The guy was once acclaimed to be one of the best bantamweights of all time. EPO or not, steroids or not, the guy put on put on a hellacious uh, uh, pace and and uh, had solid striking movement. Obviously. Obviously, was really working well with Dwayne Ludwig, which is why he ended up leaving Team Alpha Male and truly started to spread his wings under the Bang, uh, Bang Muay Thai uh, brand, especially with Dwayne Ludwig, like I said. And then he started going over there with the training lab and really started training closely with uh, Juan Archuleta, Cobb Swanson, a couple of the guys that were out there. I believe Aaron Pico was there for a little while as well. But it was a close-knit, small group of guys, but they were very, very high-level and highly skilled and I believe that we're going to see that same type of TJ Dillashaw coming into the cage this weekend. I'm not going to complete. I'm not going to completely write him off. It's very difficult for me to take a fighter that was so highly acclaimed and very highly skilled and say that okay, if he got popped for something, that he's going to come back and look like a completely different version of himself. I think there are too many unknowns going into this fight for us to truly make that assertion. And for us to go out there and label uh, Corey Sandhagen as a minus 190 favorite in this spot. I feel like this should be closer to maybe minus 130 for Sandhagen. Obviously, maybe you can give him up to minus 150 considering the uncertainties that we're going to be getting on TJ Dillashaw in this spot. But I'm not sure how anybody can go out there with full-out confidence say that Corey Sandhagen is going to go out there and wipe the floor with TJ Dillashaw. Um, Dillashaw has a great grappling and wrestling background, and he can definitely use that in this fight to expose the 39% takedown defense from Corey Sandhagen and probably even grind this fight out just from that position alone. Uh, the striking, you know, it's going to be interesting. TJ Dillashaw, like we said, likes to move a lot, likes to throw a lot of feints and kind of just, you know, rope a dopio to certain things. Whereas Corey Sandhagen, I think he's going to have the speed advantage in this fight, which is going to play a big factor in him having success on the feet against TJ. And I think that Corey's ability to kind of create traps in the striking realm allows him to actually get those knockout victories like he's had against Frankie Edgar and even uh, Marlon Moraes the fight before that. Um, 
I'm not sold on the narrative that TJ Dillashaw has a compromised chin. Like I said, I think he uh, very much sacrificed his durability going into the Segudo fight, going down to 125 pounds. And then before that, he got knocked down by Cody Garbrandt in their first fight, uh, was able to get back, uh, get his wits back about him, and then eventually finish him in the second round. And then the last time uh, TJ Dillashaw was in any trouble in regards to striking and getting rocked and dropped and even getting knocked out was about 11 years ago when he made his UFC debut against John Dodson for the Ultimate Fighter finale. So outside of that, we haven't really seen him deal with crazy chin issues. So I think that's being a little bit overblown at this point in time. And I don't know if Corey Sanagan has that crazy, like one punch knockout power. Of course, he like the way he set up uh, Frankie Edgar for that knockout, uh, that flying knee knockout that was beautifully placed. The spinning heel kick, you know, wobbles Marlon Moraes, who was already, you know, feeling the damage and the pressure of Corey Sanagan. That definitely played a factor into him getting the finish there. There's a body shot KO on his record as well. He has a couple of submission victories as well. So don't get me wrong, Corey Sanagan is definitely dangerous, but again, TJ Dillashaw could definitely go out there and, uh, you know, throw a wrench in people's plans, especially if they're just writing it home already, thinking that Sanhagen is going to run through TJ Dillashaw on this spot. TJ is one of those competitors that I feel like, you know, it's almost to his detriment, which is why he took the EPO to get down in weight and whatever else he was be he must have been taking. But I feel like he did, you know, he must have checked off every single box in his return here, especially to try to save his legacy or a little bit of his legacy to try to come back and pull off a victory over a guy like uh, Corey Sanhagen in his return. I'm not writing off TJ yet. I'm actually going to pick him to win this fight. I think that, you know, mixes striking with his wrestling and his, hopefully his ability to control Sandy Higgin once this fight hits the ground. Uh, that should allow him to go out there and hopefully pull out uh, a decision victory. Again, it's tough for me to be super confident in that spot as we don't know at what point or, or how much uh, TJ Dillashaw has truly declined or deteriorated or regressed during this time off and not to mention he might not be on whatever he was on before um, I do think that there are is a chance that he could come back and still look relatively good and good enough to actually go out there and beat a guy like Corey Sandhagen again Sandhagen hype tax in my opinion clearly well deserved right uh, uh, he's been active he's had highlight reel knockouts um, you know he's right there just behind Aljamain Sterling in terms of just waiting for a title shot and potentially getting a title shot against Piotr Jan uh, obviously he faltered to Aljamain Sterling but I do think that TJ Dillashaw could put a, put together a game plan that could go out there and beat a guy like Corey Sanding but there are the, uh, the 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 question marks in terms of uh, what we're going to see from TJ Dillashaw, which just leaves me with very little confidence in this fight. So I am going to go with the Dillashaw side of things. I'm going to take him to win by decision. I will poke the decision play around plus 400, I think. Uh, I, th I think that's what it's sending out right now. And I think there's some decent value there. But... Again, anybody saying that they're all uber confident in this spot is either completely writing off TJ Dillashaw, which I think you just cannot do, especially when you have a guy of that caliber, or they're believing that TJ Dillashaw is going to come very close to looking very close to what he used to look like. And again, I think he could, but there's no nothing out there that's legitimately telling us that that's exactly what's going to happen. Let's see how he looks in this fight back. And we definitely know he's going to get a title shot if he ends up winning this uh, this weekend. So we'll see what we look uh, see what he looks like this weekend when he goes up against Sandhagen. With that said, like I said, TJ Dillashaw via decision is going to be my pick. Uh, but just tread very lightly when you're gambling on this fight, as I do think that there's a lot of ways that even though the odds are minus 190 for Sandhagen, it could end up looking minus 300 for TJ Dillashaw if he successfully implements a grapple heavy game plan. And then Sandhagen could look minus 400 if TJ Dillashaw has truly lost a step. Uh, and if the, the USADA thing truly has put him back, you know, miles and miles behind what where Corey Sandhagen currently is. Last thing I'll say about this matchup, they did, they were, they used to be sparring partners and stuff. They used to train together a little bit in, in Denver. And apparently Corey Sandhagen would get the better of TJ Dillashaw at times. But we all know that there's differences once these guys actually step inside the cage and actually get their games going and, and you know, perform in front of a live, live crowd and, and a live audience. So uh, you can only take so much from how guys perform inside the, the practice room against each other compared to when they actually throw down inside the cage. So uh, I still do like TJ Dillashaw here. I'll take him by decision. I think there's a little bit of value on him at this underdog price, but I'll be only poking that decision prop as I think that's his best way to win this fight. I think Sandhagen needs a finish to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to win this fight, to be honest. I think Dillashaw will be more than successful with the grappling. That should give him some points on the judges' scorecards and eventually take home that decision victory. So once again, I got TJ Dillashaw making a successful return against the Sandman, taking the whole taking the fight via decision. 
And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you guys haven't already, please hit that like, hit that subscribe. And if you want to show your boy a little bit more love, check out that Patreon. Five bucks a month gets you a ton of great talent. And once again, shout out to CoolBet. CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and then match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. All right. Good luck to us this week. I got a ton of other content coming throughout the week, as you guys know. I won't be watching this event live, which kind of pisses me off a little bit, but it's all good. I got to go out there and be a human and enjoy my social life as well too uh but uh, shout out to everybody that's checking out the episode supporting your boy good luck on your best this week and i'll see you guys throughout the week